of John. Now, the last time we were here, we were dealing with the issue of Jesus correcting the people in their desire to seek him for the right reason. That is, everything stemmed from the feeding of the 5,000, that tremendous miracle that Jesus did, but the heart of the people, or should I say the hearts of the people, were set in the wrong direction. That is, they were looking to Jesus because they came to him the next day after that great miracle. They were looking to Jesus to simply feed them again, to provide bread for them once again. And Jesus admonished them not to simply come to him for the natural things in this world, the bread that perishes. Do not seek him for such bread, but seek him for the true bread. That is for understanding the sign that he did, that great feeding of the 5,000. That was a sign to let them know about the person of Jesus. Number one, he did that which only God can do. Number two, that a testing sign, that a testing miracle that he did means that you should look unto Jesus for what he is saying. Who is he claiming to be? What is he saying about himself? He is offering himself. He is presenting himself as the Messiah, their savior. And they should, from this sign, understand he is God who has come down in human flesh to provide salvation for them. Seek him for that. And so the people in a natural mindset, never really understanding what Jesus was trying to say, was still trying to press Jesus to provide physical food for them. And this is what led to last, uh, the last video, the discussion of the last video, as Jesus was presenting himself as the true bread of life, not the bread that the people were seeking in a similar fashion that Moses provided the manna that they had, which all of the people who ate of the manna that Moses provided perished, but seek Jesus because he is the true bread, which came down from heaven. And that bread come down, which comes down from heaven from the father, that bread gives life eternal. And so this is how Jesus was trying to move them into the correct spiritual understanding of his person and what he was thereby offering them of himself. And this led to the two principles that we talked about in the previous video. And if you have not seen the last video, that is, what was it? Um, the eternal security of the believer, the election and security of the believer. You need to see that video because much of the things that we will continue to talk about, because all of this is in the same context and all of this is in the same discussion that Jesus was having with the Jews at that time. Same context, same historical context. Uh, you need to see that previous video to get a good understanding because Jesus is going to relate to some of the same things that he has been talking about. But... The idea that Jesus continued to speak of with the people, he answered one of the reasons why they have such uh, consternation concerning him. They were not receiving him. Jesus simply said, because you were not given to me by the father, or as he said, all that the father gives to me will come to me. That is the, the sense of, that gives us the principle of election, the previous video. And he also continued, the one who comes to me, I will certainly not cast out. Why? All of this, the one who comes to me and which is the principle of election dealing with the issue of salvation. God calls those who believe in Jesus. It is God who is responsible. It is the call of God as to why a person has come to faith, believing faith in Jesus as Messiah, son of God. This is action of the father, election. And then I will definitely not cast him out. Ume, we talked about all of that previous video. That is the security of the believer. True believers are never, ever separated from Christ. They come to Christ by the hand of the father and they are with Christ, never to lose their salvation because Jesus himself 
maintains that relationship. And he answered all of that. Why is this the case? Why is there coming to Jesus an action of the father? They are gifts of the father. And why are they kept by the power of Christ, even as Jude says, now unto him who is able to keep us from falling and present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Why? He alone is the only wise God, our savior. Why does Jesus keep? He says, because this was the plan of God the Father from eternity past. For this is the will of the Father, that all that he has given unto me, I lose nothing. But anyway, we're not going to re-preach the previous video, but this is necessary to understand the continuing context of discussion that Jesus has with those people. Okay, so now let's continue on in John in the next section. We're going to, go, we're going to try to split this up between two more videos. I don't know how long this one will be, but this video and another video because there is still a good deal of text that we need to cover. But in that same idea, remember your background, remember the context that you have, that Jesus just said to the people, he has answered the question, why they are not believing in him? The father has not moved their spirits to do so. The father has not elected them unto salvation. But he's answered that question, but the thing that really has pierced the mind of the people is when Jesus said, he came down from heaven, dealing with his origins. And it's from that perspective that we continue our teaching in the Gospel of John. When Jesus said he came down from heaven and we'll see that the people will have a lot of problems with that statement. OK, so now let's go to verse number 41 as we continue. Therefore, the Jews were grumbling about him. Why? Because he said, I am the bread that came down out of heaven. They were saying, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down out of heaven? So now as we move further, we see the problem with the people is not so much as Jesus saying that he is the bread. He is the bread uh, that gives life even though they really don't understand his statement about the bread. Remember, all of this is being built on the background of Jesus' feeding of the 5,000 and those people coming to Jesus the next day for him to feed them again, even their request, as they said, show us a sign. Why? What kind of sign? They said, Moses gave us bread from heaven. And that's when the whole discourse of Jesus came, followed saying, Moses did not give you the bread out of heaven, speaking of the manna in the wilderness. Okay. But coming all from that sense of the natural bread, they really didn't understand Jesus speaking in a spiritual context concerning bread, bread which gives life, bread that satisfies, bread that satisfies spiritual hunger and not simply physical hunger. They didn't understand that part, but that's not a problem with them at this point. That's not a big problem. The big problem with them, as we see in verse number 49, when Jesus speaks of his origin, that is having come down out of heaven. Now, they understand the heaven means the abode of God. They understand that. So they're now quarreling because they have known Jesus, probably some of these people, a good part of his life. They know of his family. Notice what they say. Is not this Jesus whom? And they don't understand his true origin, but they say Joseph is Jesus's father and Mary is his mother, Joseph, whose father and mother, son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know. In other words, we know him. We know of his family, his father, Joseph, the carpenter, and his mother, Miriam, which we translate Mary. We know of his origin. So now how is this man, this one, Jesus, all of a sudden telling us he came down from heaven. So this causes some confusion in Jesus's statement about his origin, because number one, they did not understand the virgin birth, not understand it. They didn't know. They didn't know of the virgin birth. 
And Jesus did not try to correct them at this particular time. So no need for us to speculate. Jesus didn't get into it about I, my father is truly God. And what they, they call the Holy Spirit came over my mother. And there I was conceived in my mother's womb by operation. He didn't get into any of that explanation. So therefore, we won't worry about trying to get into all of that as a supplement to try to uh, make <laughs> as a supplement to understanding what Jesus is trying to say. Jesus didn't worry about that. He just simply told him his origin was of heaven. And the people themselves, because they knew Jesus, so they thought, so they thought, they began to grumble because he was stating of his heavenly origin. Verse 43. So let's go on and we'll keep putting it together. Jesus answered and said to them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come unto me, can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up in the last day. It is written in the prophets that and they shall be taught of God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the father except the one who is from God. He has seen the father. Okay, so now let's talk about it. So the people, after Jesus said he had come down from heaven, they were grumbling, saying, no, how in the world he's saying he come from heaven when we know his parents. And so Jesus speaking in a spiritual sense, remember from the bread of life, that is, he is that bread that gives eternal life. They didn't understand those spiritual statements. And so even and since, should I even say, not understanding the spiritual statements, they definitely will not perceive the truth of what Jesus was saying about where he literally comes from. That is, he comes from heaven. He is the one sent from God, the father with a purpose. And all of this works to Jesus teaching and this particular section, bread of life. You have to have this perception from God the Father. But let me, let me go back. So without this perception coming from God, that is God has to enlighten and God has to show you who Jesus is in order for you to understand and even receive Jesus. This goes back to that original statement. That's why the previous video is so important. The original statement of Jesus in verse, I believe, number 36, 36 through 40 in those particular verses. That is, no one is able to come to me except the father should draw him. What we have here is the emphasis of Jesus once again to that principal statement. Remember, they're grumbling about Jesus statement of his origin from heaven. And Jesus is simply saying, and the reason why you don't understand this, that statement about me coming from heaven, this as well, because just like I said to you earlier, the father has not opened your mind. The father has not given you that spiritual perception to receive my words. The father has not given you the spiritual perception to understand the miracle of the loaves. The father has not given you the spiritual perception to understand all of these claims that I'm making. Even the claim of what? I have come down from heaven. You don't understand these things because the father has not enlightened you. And as I just said to you, Jesus would say, you don't understand. The point is because the father has not chosen you to have faith in me again, 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 again. That's why the previous video, you must see the previous video. The father has not elected you to believe in me. That is, the Father, see, see, election simply means to be chosen by God. God, this is a sovereign act of God. The sovereign act simply means God is doing what he desires to do. He has mercy upon whom he chooses. Those whom he choose to have faith in his son speaks of salvation. 
So if the father is not drawing you to have set, to have faith in his son, the father, and that's the only way you can be saved. Again, Jesus' words, as he will later on say, I am the way. I am, speaking of himself, speaking of faith in himself, I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes unto the Father except by me. So the only way unto salvation is faith in the Son. And what is Jesus simply saying? The Father is the one who has chosen you to believe in his Son. And again, here is the emphasis. Jesus saying the reason why you're grumbling, the reason why you have a problem with my statement of coming from heaven, it is the evidence that gr your grumbling is the evidence that you have not been chosen by my father to have faith in me. Notice that's why he emphasizes again in verse number 44. No one can come to me unless the father draws me has sent I'm sorry. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. So Jesus emphasizes the same thing he just said again to answer the question of their grumbling about his statement as of having coming from heaven. Why? For if the father was working in their hearts to save to save them, if they have been chosen of God to have faith in Jesus, if they have been what? chosen of God to have faith in Jesus, then his statement of having come from heaven would not be an issue of quarreling amongst, of grumbling, of complaining about what he had just said. And then in the end of verse number 44, he just simply emphasizes what he was saying even earlier. What? The one who comes to me, who have been given to me by the father, I will raise him up on the last day. Again, emphasizing eternal security. So what did he do? He emphasized once again, election, which is a sovereign act of God alone in choosing people to believe in his son. Those people will come. Those people will be saved. Election and then eternal security. The one who comes to Jesus, who have been sent by the father, he will keep to the ultimate point of their resurrection in glory. I will raise him on the last day. And then in verse 45, Jesus simply, uh, he supplies evidence of this, of this uh, urge of this, no, that, that's the wrong term, that is a weak term, of this election by the father. He supplies election by the father and the sense of their perception, staying in the context, Grumbling because he said he came from heaven. Grumbling because of that, the people were. And then Jesus simply saying, your grumbling is the evidence that the father has not elected you, chosen you to believe. Your grumbling is that. And now he opens it up and deals with their election and their perception of Jesus. In other words, had you believed in me had you not had a problem with me saying that I came down from heaven, it would be proof that the father has chosen you. And it would be proof that the words that I'm saying and the things that I'm doing, you are perceiving these things in a right way, in the right way, because God has elected you and God is teaching you. God is enabling you to understand who I am, what I'm saying about myself, and he is enabling you. God is enabling you to see what it means when I do these things. And when God is enabling you to see these things, you will perceive me for who I am and the statements that I'm making, I came down from heaven. It's not a problem. Why? God is causing you to perceive these things about me. Or as he simply says in verse number 45, God is teaching you. So he's using the sense of teaching as it speaks to perceiving the person of Jesus by what he is saying, by the things that he is doing, by perceiving these things, 
It is the evidence that God has chosen you unto salvation, chosen you to believe in his son. And for this reason, if God is doing these things, teaching you these things, has chosen you these things, you won't be grumbling. But what's the problem? You are grumbling. Why are you grumbling? Because it's the literal reverse. God has not chosen you. So therefore, God is not teaching you to perceive me. So, but let's get back to the verse. Jesus simply says he provides the evidence that if you were elect and if God was teaching you, he says, as it is written in the prophets. Now notice the word prophets is plural. That means Jesus is not quoting one singular prophets. He is either giving a summary as he is here in the quoting of more than one prophet. And the idea he's probably quoting Jesus combining the, the, the principal teaching in Isaiah 54 and Jeremiah 31 when it, when it teaches how the people will be taught of God himself. So he's using those quotes, Isaiah, Jeremiah, to simply say, and they shall be taught of God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. So, man, I almost want to hoop right there. Again, it is the operation, it is the sovereign, when you say sovereign, it's all the power of God and what God himself is doing, all by himself. God is teaching you, that's what Jesus is saying, in what I'm saying and what I'm doing. God is working on the heart and mind of that hearer. And as God is working on that mind of that hearer, notice what Jesus says, everyone, every single one who has what? Heard and learned from the father. So remember Jesus said, had you been hearing and learning from the father, you would have no problem with me saying what? I have come down from heaven. No problem with me saying what? I am the son of God. No problem in understanding and receiving my messiahship. No problem in coming to me to be saved. You won't have no problem because what? God is teaching you and you are hearing. You have heard from God. Hear him. Learn from him. Jesus says here in verse 45, everyone who has heard and learned from the father, notice the language without exception. If you, if God has spoken to the heart, everyone comes to me. So staying calm because I want to teach you all the way through on this one. When God speaks to a person's heart, every single one, whoever it may be concerning who Jesus really is. And remember, we always say, because we're going to encounter this once again in this text, son of God, that is, he is God from heaven itself. God almighty, son of man speaks to what? His humanity. He is a human being. He is God who comes from heaven. Why? Only God has the power to save. We cannot save ourselves. We are dead in our sins and our trespasses. Only God has the effective power to bring forth life that yields salvation. Son of God, son of man, only his offering. What offering? The body, the blood of bulls and goats you did not desire. But what? a body you have prepared for me. And what is the response of the son? Knowing that God has prepared him a body so that that body may be killed on the cross and that blood may be shed for sin. What is the response of the son? Behold, I come to do your will, O God. The voluntary submission of the son to receive that body so that it might die on the cross. Only God can make a person understand Jesus is God and Jesus is also man, the body that must die on the cross for our sins and of course be resurrected from the dead. As God causes this knowledge, he causes the individual to learn, to perceive these things about Jesus. Notice what Jesus says, the end result all the ones that God has taught, all the ones that God has given this learning to comes to me. It is the language without exception. That is when God has called the individual, they 
come. It's not they think about it and change their mind. They believe in Jesus to salvation. And all of this simply buttresses, it simply lays, it builds on the foundational statement that Jesus has already made. All that the Father gives to me, what will come. So that is the whole sense of what? Election. Those who have been chosen out by the sovereign will of God from eternity past, when they are exposed to the message concerning Jesus and his person, they will, not they might, not that they are going to change their mind, they will respond, they will be saved. Why? Because the Father has chosen them from the beginning, or as Revelation chapters 13 and 17 says, he has chosen them from the foundation of the earth. Why? So that their names might be written in the Lamb's book of life. So, okay, we're not going to get into that. I started to preach it. I wasn't supposed to preach. But again, verse number 45 simply says, that God teaches them. And in context of what we're saying, the people were grumbling. Why were they grumbling? Jesus simply said, because the father is not working in your heart to teach you and to make and cause you to understand and perceive who I really am, where, where I am truly from. I am the Lord God from heaven itself. Okay. For if the father was working in your heart, teaching you, then you would come to me and there would be no grumbling. And then from that whole issue of teaching of teaching by the father, that's in verse number 46, he uses the word herokin. Uh, uh, horao is actually the Greek word, the root of it, which means to see, but he using it from the sense of to see as well as to understand, to see as well as to understand. That's why he says, not that anyone has seen the father, except the one who is from God, he has seen the father. So there's a, a sense of a, a, a both a, a dual meaning. No one has seen the father, horao, because the word, the Greek word horao, primarily means to see with the eyes, literally to see physically, with the eyes. And we can also understand how Jesus is applying a spiritual meaning to that. Not only the seeing with the eyes, but to see with the eyes of the mind in understanding. Okay. And that's what you can see when it goes all the way back to John 1 and 18. No man has seen the father at any time. The only begotten son who dwells in the bosom of the father he has made him known. So it goes from the seeing of the eyes to the seeing with the perception of the mind, understanding the only someone who has fully seen and Jesus by being God can behold the very glory of God. He has indeed seen, if we'll say with the eyes, saying in that way, the father, but no one like Jesus has truly completely understood and comprehended the father. And this qualifies him to be able to make the father known. So Jesus simply, he's talking about once again in verse number 46, his uniqueness, his uniqueness. And in that uniqueness, it qualifies him. What? He came down from heaven. And when to come down from heaven means that you must be in heaven. Who is in heaven? the father. And as Jesus is, has this unique place that no man has ever had in heaven, even at the right hand of God. And okay, we, that's in his ascension. But the idea is in the very bosom of God, in the very presence of God, this uniqueness in the very presence of God, even as he himself is God, he has perceived God in a manner no other human being has. And therefore, only the one coming down from heaven has seen the father. None of you have. So therefore, I am qualified to make you understand the father. He has seen the father. And therefore, I can tell you things concerning the father. I can tell you about the will of the father because I myself have been with the father 
and have come down from heaven. Okay, so now that answers that question, uh, not so much as the question or that uh, uh, th that problem of the Jews arguing about Jesus came down from heaven and he couldn't have come down from heaven when we know his parents, we know his origin. And Jesus simply saying to you, you really don't know my origin like you think that you do. Okay. All right. Verse 47, as he continues on, remember, we're maintaining our context of Jesus's person because when you speak of his origin you also speak of his person the one having come down out of heaven okay you're you're implying something about the person of Jesus. He is God, but coming down from heaven, taking human form. He is also man, but nevertheless, over all context is what about the bread, him declaring himself to be the bread of life, or you can even say it, the bread that gives life. And Jesus is not talking about what as he has admonished the people, not the bread that Moses gave manna that you eat and die, but the bread that comes down out of heaven that gives true spiritual life. Okay, so we're continuing verse number 47. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread which comes down out of heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread also which I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Okay, so now let's go on. Let's look at it. Truly, truly, remember what I've been telling you all throughout these teachings. Always be mindful when Jesus says, truly, truly, amen, amen, because here Jesus is trying to emphasize. He's driving home a point. Listen to what I'm about to say. Assuredly, what I'm about to say, you need to hear this. What? One who believes in me has eternal life. In other words, this argument that Jesus has been trying to set forth about he is the bread of life, about putting faith in him, about understanding and recognize he is the son of God, that he is God from heaven. I came down from it. You need to understand the words that I'm saying because what? Saying about myself. Why? Because in my words about myself, in understanding, receiving, believing who I am, you have eternal life. It is necessary. This is the gospel. This is the message of hope. This is eternal life. And unless you believe what Jesus says about himself, you have no life eternal. Damnation awaits you. Or should I even say you are still in your sins? You must perceive the message of Christ. You must believe the message of Christ. And what did Jesus just say? What did Jesus just say? Taught of God. The only way you can get this is God has chosen you unto faith. God has elected you. But nevertheless, unless you believe these things concerning Christ, truly, truly, unless you believe these things, you will not see God in peace. Okay, so truly, truly, he who believes has eternal life. You must believe. And what is that message? What is that message? I am. Here's another. This is not another, but this is the same statement. Jesus simply making it again. He's emphasizing, trying to drive home the point. I am the bread of life. Not as in the people, people's mind are set. They came to Jesus to do the miracle of the loaves again. They wanted to eat the bread that filled their stomachs again. Jesus is simply saying, get your mind off of physical, natural bread. This is not like the bread that your fathers ate. Because remember what the people said, Moses did a miracle by giving us manna from heaven. Jesus said, I'm the bread of that truly gives life, not like the, the bread that Moses gave. 
I'm the bread that the bread that is greater than the bread that Moses gave to your fathers. Why? The bread manna in the wilderness that Moses gave to your fathers, those who ate that bread are dead. But look at me. Look at what I'm offering. I am the bread of life because the bread that I am offering you is not the bread that you eat unto death. It's the bread that you eat that causes you to live forever. And always remember the idea of Jesus for the eternity in this sense, forever in the presence of God. He who eats of the bread that I will give lives forever. Ever. And then Jesus began. Now he starts to, uh, I don't want to say get into trouble, but this is going to become troublesome to the mind of people. Jesus said, and the bread, now notice he uses the future tense that I will give. I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. And simply that's why he used the future tense. What? The flesh, speaking of his body, is to the death of Jesus on the cross. Now we understand, and, and we're going to develop this as we work through it. We understand, which is what the people did not understand, that Jesus was speaking spiritually, that Jesus is speaking about having faith in his atoning death. Remember, atone means to cover. It is the death, the blood of Jesus that provides for the forgiveness of sin. That blood of Jesus on the cross, ultimately, and only that blood, and I don't want to get into that discussion. Well, what about the Old Testament? No, it was simply a substitute until the death of the Messiah. Once the Messiah, let me just go ahead and tell y'all guys, since it's in my mind, and it's a little bit off, it's a little bit off, but I'll just bring it in uh, so that you might know. Once the blood of the Messiah came, this was the blood that God had predetermined, the only blood that could take away sins, okay? This blood allowed for the complete and true forgiveness of sin. It, the Old Testament sacrifice, blood of bulls and goats, was a temporary, a substitute, but it did not remove sin. But because it was a system that God himself had set into place until the blood of the Messiah, God accepted that because God allowed this. This is why all Old Testament saints, and I'm going to say it and move on. This is why at the death of all Old Testament saints, and you see Jesus talking about that in Luke 16, when the Old Testament saints died, say for instance, Abraham, Luke 16, they went into paradise. Notice the Old Testament saints did not go to heaven at the time of death. They went into paradise. Only after Jesus had risen from the dead, Ephesians, I'm not going to get into a big explanation, but only after Jesus had risen from the dead and Jesus had died on that cross, died on the cross, shed his blood, presented that blood to the father. Jesus said unto Mary, what? Do not hold me for I have to go to your father and to my father. Presented that blood of his to the father for the forgiveness of sin, for the washing of the heavenly temple, the cleansing of the heavenly temple. And I'm not going to get in all of that. I'm going to just talk. I'm sorry. And then Jesus himself cleared out paradise. He kept those, he took those who were held captive in paradise and led them out. And so now they are able to enter into heaven, the abode of God, because of the blood of the Messiah. My whole point is, it was God's intention that even though he gave the sacrificial system, blood of bulls and goats, to be a temporary covering, but it did not. The, the blood of those goats did not remove sin. So therefore, those saints were still not allowed in the direct presence of God in heaven itself. It was not until the blood of Jesus was shed that these were allowed into the presence of God. That's why when we die, unlike Old Testament saints, we, the saints of God, do not go into paradise. We go immediately. What did Paul say in the book of Philippians? For to die is to be with Christ. There is no paradise for us. We go immediately into the presence of God. Why? 
the blood of the Messiah, the final intent of God was shed. And therefore we now are able to go immediately. Why? God has given the completeness for the removal of sins, the blood of Jesus. Okay. I was not supposed to get into that. It may have created a bunch of questions by you guys, but I got a video somewhere in this dealing with this. You guys have to search for it. But anyway, but let me just go back to the text where we were. So Jesus simply saying, I will give, speaking of what future tense of his death on the cross, that bread is my flesh, is his flesh. So he's speaking of his death on the cross. So the whole point of this section is simply Jesus simply saying, the bread, the bread that the people are looking for is not the true bread that comes down from heaven. The true bread that comes down from heaven is Jesus taking bodily form. And that bodily form, his flesh will be given up on the cross. And those who believe in the atoning death of Jesus will find what? Eternal life. And that's why truly, truly, I say to you, this is very important that you understand. This is very important that you believe, believe in my death on the cross. But anyway, even though Jesus did not supply all of these words, this is what he is meaning by all of this. That's why he says, I will give. I will give what my that bread that provides what life eternal. I'll give it in the future. What is that bread that will supply life eternal? I'm going to give in the future my flesh. He's speaking of his future death on the cross about a year after this teaching. OK. All right. So he continues on. And as I said, now notice now what you got to understand. These Jews are thinking in the natural. They are not perceiving the spiritual importance of what Jesus is saying. Not speaking of his literal flesh, but I know Jesus is talking about the eating of the bread. Eating of the bread. Bread, Jesus just said, what? My flesh. So they're thinking natural. So this becomes exceptionally repugnant to the Jews to cannibalize. That's how they're thinking. To literally eat Jesus is flesh. So this turns them off big time. And for the remainder of this section, Jesus is not going to back down from it, but he is going to build even more so on the absolute necessity of eating of his flesh. And he is going to continue on with the drinking of his blood. We understand Jesus speaking spiritually. Now, let me also supply this. Jesus is not here establishing what we call communion. He's not dealing with that. He is simply dealing with the issues of faith, believing in the atonement. He gave his body, shed his blood for the remission of sins. He is not trying to set forth principles of communion. Yes, we can see principles of communion is derived from that derived on the basis of this. You got it. But he is not teaching communion here. He will not deal with communion until the final Passover. You know what people call the last supper. Actually, it's not supper. It's actually the final Passover that Jesus has with his disciples right before he is uh, dragged out by the Roman soldiers and condemned to death and crucified. It's at that time when Jesus says, take Eat. This is my body shed for you. Take and drink all of you from it. This is my blood of the new covenant. That's when Jesus gives the communion thing. But here he is speaking solely of faith in what he will do in the offering of his body. OK, now enough said. But the problem here is it becomes a serious problem with the Jews as they are forbidden to eat, to cannibalize, to eat flesh like this, to eat another human being's flesh. So they're, they're repulsed by it. So now here we are now. Verse number 52. Then the Jews began to argue with one another saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus says to them, notice again, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you have no life in yourselves. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. 
for my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Okay, starting at verse 52. So what happens? Here we see the word emakanto, emakanto. Yeah, emakanto. That's the proper pronunciation. When it says the Jews began to argue. Now, actually the word emakanto that we translate here, argue, literally means as if to fight. That is, when Jesus said, Eat his, that to eat his flesh, verse number 51, what he will give, I will give my flesh and to eat his flesh. This caused a serious problem amongst the Jews. What, what, what in the world did he just say? His flesh, eat his flesh. And that's the verb that is used. They weren't simply arguing in the sense of what, what did you No, th This almost caused a fight. <laughs> Amongst the Jews, when Jesus began to say, eat his flesh. And so this is what's going on. The Jews are saying in the heated sense, almost about to fight to break out. How in the world this man going to give us our flesh? We don't do that. We're Jews. This is forbidden for us to do. So they're really angry. So did Jesus back down? Verse number 53. Did Jesus try to calm it down or to ease it up? Notice. He emphasized it again. Remember what I told you to keep watching. Truly, truly. So Jesus didn't back down from the statement. Jesus did not try to put some, some bomb and cool the statement or cool this. Jesus broke out with another truly, truly. Amen, amen. Truly, truly. I'm saying to you, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood. Oh my God. Now he has compounded the statement eating his flesh and drink his blood. Oh my God. So Jesus is saying, and by this emphasis, once again, truly, truly by this repetition of what eating his, his flesh, adding on what drink, he added on the drinking of his, and a Jew could not drink the blood. So this is so repulsive to them, what they're hearing in the natural. Why are they hearing this in the natural? They have not. They are not being taught by the father. For if they had learned of God for all who have learned and all who have been taught of the father, they would not grumble. They would not have this heated argument. What's that word again that Jesus, that the Bible said in Makonta, they would not be just about to fight amongst themselves had they been learning of the father, but since they have not learned of the father, since they have not been called of the father, they are not perceiving his words. But nevertheless, let's get back to the text. Jesus says what? He emphasizes again, the absolute necessity of eating his flesh, the absolute necessity of drinking his blood. Why? To not do so means that total absence of life. You do not have life. That is eternal life. The consequences are dire. It is necessary. Now, we know that Jesus is not speaking, they're not perceiving it, of literally eating his physical flesh and literally drinking his physical blood. He is speaking in spiritual overtones of faith in what his flesh provides, that is offering his body. What happens in his body? What happens in his body? That body that he puts on, that he voluntarily allows to be put on the cross receives the full fierceness of the wrath of God. Again, that body which God has prepared for Jesus that he occupies, that Jesus voluntarily submits to be crucified on the cross, that body receives the full fierceness. Listen to what I'm saying and think about it. Now listen, listen, and think. That body exhausts the wrath of God. Imagine it this way. Imagine God like a man. Imagine God like a man. And God is angry. He is absolutely, he is not murderously angry, but allow me to say it in that terminology, okay? Imagine God 
That is angry to kill. He is angry to the point of killing. Imagine God as a man and imagine God taking his hand, taking his body or whatever, and just beating and beating and beating and beating and just beating a person, beating another person until that person literally dies. And as God is beating that person to death, imagine God, think of him as a man with a body. Think of it this way. And when he gets through, he's like this. <sighs> he's tired. He's worn out. And he is so tired and worn out as he has just killed that individual. All his anger dissipates. All his anger is now gone. God has expended the fullness of his anger, the fullness of his wrath on the body of Jesus. That's what Jesus is trying to say. And that's what it understands. Unless you eat my flesh, you understand in God's wrath, he has done what? Expended that wrath of because of you, because of us, because of our sins. God has given Jesus a body to take the place of what he says this is what you rightly deserve, but I give my son, I give him a body to receive in his flesh what I ought to give unto you. He is now, he has become your substitute, says the Lord, and I am going to expend all of the violence of my wrath against that I should give unto you. I'm going to expend that to him. And therefore, that's why Jesus said in the finality of his death on the cross, it is finished. It is in the Greek. It is paid. The price for sin is paid. God's wrath against sin is paid in my body, in my flesh. Okay, but enough of that because I'm preaching. Back off. So again, what? Truly, truly. You better believe it. You better eat my flesh. You better believe in what God has done in giving me a body and putting that on the cross. And truly, truly, here's what Jesus brought in. Drink my blood. Why? That once again, the whole idea of eating the flesh, drinking the blood, Jesus using in the spiritual sense, believing in what my body has done for you, believing in what my blood will accomplish for you. And what does the blood do? The Bible says, for by the shedding of blood is the remission of sin. So God has done what? God has expressed the fullness of his wrath on the body of Jesus. And God has caused that what? The blood of Jesus should truly atone for sin. It provides for the forgiveness of sin. And if you truly, truly do not believe in this, you have no life in yourselves. Okay, so again, let's go back. Let's find out where we are. Truly, truly, I say unto you, verse 53, unless you eat the flesh, drink his blood, no life. Again, no life, eternal life. Now, let us once again, remember that I tell you always, watch when we have the changing titles of Jesus. Notice what Jesus says. He, uh, uh, eat the flesh, drink the blood, of the son of man, son of man. Notice again, as the title here speaks again, let's rehearse the titles that Jesus used concerning himself, son of God, referring to Jesus, divine nature, that Jesus is God. And the second title, son of man, referring to Jesus's humanity, that Jesus is a human being with a human body. As son of God, the divine being, he cannot die as a divine being. But as son of man, a human being, he has a body that can be put to death. And this is the title that Jesus used here. Drink the flesh. I'm sorry. Eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood. Son of man. So Jesus, by using this title, refers to what? His humanity in the sense he is a human being with a human body that can die on the cross. So whenever you see the idea of son of man, always have your thinking with respect to Jesus's humanity in the sense that a body that will die on the cross 
for our sins. Okay, so that's all we need to say about that. And that's the idea of the usage of Jesus's use of the title son of man here, because why? He now speaks in terms of his having a physical human body given by God for the purpose of dying on the cross for sin. Eat the flesh, drink the blood, because this is what is sacrificed on the cross. His flesh, his blood is shed at that cross. Okay. And then he says in verse number 55, for what? My flesh is true food. Not the manner of Moses. This is the contrast that he's trying to get the people as he's trying to continually move them from the natural. That is eating food, eating food in the mouth, going to the belly. The example that the people said to Jesus, Moses gave manna because they're still thinking about food. Jesus is trying to move them spiritually, as we've been saying all along. The true bread, not the bread of Moses. That's not true bread, that natural bread. True bread is my flesh and what true drink the drink is my blood that which gives because the bread of Moses, the bread of Moses manna in the wilderness, the water that came from the rock, even the rock that Moses smote that water that came from the rock drink all those who ate that bread and drank that water provided by Moses died. The true bread and the true drink is my body and my blood. Why? For in consuming it, you will never die. And this is why Jesus calls it true bread. It is the bread that yields eternal life. True blood. It is the blood that also yields to eternal life. And again, the instance of what Jesus is talking about we know, again, not in the literal eating of the bread, that is his flesh, literal drinking of his blood, but in faith in the atonement that he will provide. Okay. All right. Let's get to the final sections. Verse number 56. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him as the living father sent me and I live because of the father. So he who eats me and he, he also will live because of me. This is the bread which came down out of heaven, not as the fathers ate and died. He who eats this bread will live forever. Okay. Closing it out as Jesus finished his contrast, trying to move the people again from the natural to the spiritual to constant, to believe in him and what he will provide coming. He says the one who eats his flesh, drinks his blood abides in him. Now again, notice, and I, and I know I haven't brought dealt with a lot of Greek, but let me just simply make notation again. You'll see me making notation of this in the previous video about the eternal security election and security of the believer. The verbs that are used here that Jesus has in reference to himself about eating and drinking, living and abiding are all in the present tense. Speaking to what? The continuation of a thing. It is the continuation of faith. Those who are continuing to believe, those who are continuing to eat, those who are continuing to drink his blood. It speaks of the continuation in faith of Jesus as Messiah and also to the security of the believer. You see, the security of the believer is a thing done by Christ himself, but such a thing also is done. Why? Because the believer, the person who comes to Jesus, who truly comes to Jesus, continues to believe in Jesus. You continue to believe that Jesus is the son of God. You continue to believe that Jesus is the son of man. You continue to believe that Jesus death on the cross was not because of his rebellion against Rome was because his body was indeed an offering for sin. His blood was shed for the, you continue to believe in these things. Thereby, your relationship with him continues. Your security, your salvation with him remains because of him, because of your faith. This faith given because of God. This continues. Okay, but we don't want to get into all of that. But verse 56, 
So the one who continues to eat his flesh, that is, Jesus continues to uh, uh, teach and emphasize on the necessity of continued faith. Eats the flesh, drinks the blood, what? Abides. That means you continue to remain a part of Jesus Christ. All those things that I just said, continuing faith in Jesus, continuing in your security with the Lord. One with Jesus abides in me and what Jesus with us and I in him. That is the residence that Jesus takes up in the believer. Now, I'm not going to try to hash all of that out. That's going to come later on as we work through John, Jesus in the believer. That just simply means Jesus has continual presence in the life, in the heart of the believer. Jesus is literally in me, in me. Why? Because I have faith in him. And my faith in him continues eating, drinking, and Jesus abides in me. And I am constantly abiding in him. Again, security, unbreakable bond between the believer and the Messiah. And don't notice what he says, verse number 57. He calls God the living father because the very idea is what? The person who is believing in Jesus and what Jesus had done, who Jesus says that he is, has life eternal. Not the person who has his natural needs met, eating the bread that Moses gave and did, but the person believing in Jesus. And notice the idea is possession of eternal life. So he wants us, he's telling them, he wants us as well, to understand the continual idea of life eternal and of life giving things, believing in him. So notice how he references the father as the living father, he himself who lives and even the Messiah, he who lives and also he who believes in the Messiah, he who lives. So he's keeping that idea of what? having eternal life, life eternal. The living father sent me and notice I live because of the father as life is in Jesus, life is in the father. Life is also in whom Jesus. And as life is in Jesus, so is life in the one who believes in Jesus. That is eats the flesh, drinks the blood. Life is in such a one who continues to have faith in Jesus. And so he emphasizes, kind of lays it down. This is the bread with that final distinction between what they are seeking bread like manna that Moses gave the people in the wilderness, making that distinction. That's not the bread that came down from heaven. I am that bread. Me, I'm the bread that came down from heaven. And unlike the bread that your fathers ate, the way that you coming to me now, Jews, the way that you're coming to me, wanting to eat bread like your fathers ate, that bread that they ate, they still died. But me, I'm the true bread. I'm the life-giving bread. I am the bread that comes from the living father. If you eat me, eat of me, that bread, the true bread, you will not die. You will live. So therefore, it goes all the way back to when the people first came to Jesus, when Jesus said, do not seek me for the bread that perishes. Seek me for the bread that gives eternal life. That bread that the son of man, me, will give unto you. What son of man? My flesh. For he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has life Indeed, why? This is the will of my father, my death on the cross as a sacrifice for sin, my blood that will be shed to provide forgiveness for sin. Okay, let's stop there. So in a nutshell, what have we basically seen? Continuation of Jesus' conversation with the bread of life. The people still don't understand Jesus' point. They're stuck in the natural, wanting bread to be put into their mouths, and Jesus telling them to seek him and the things that he will give and he will provide that will not give them bread to the which they would later on die, but provide for them bread 
in, in order that they may never die. Seek me for that bread. But again, his whole point, but the reason why you're not understanding me in this way, the reason why you're not seeking me as the bread is simply because the father has not taught you. You have not learned from the father. And the reason you are not learning from the father, the reason you are not coming unto me for all that the father gives me will come. And again, that he said, and all who have been taught by God, comes to me. They will come to me. The reason why is because the father has not chosen you to believe in me. The father has not elected you unto salvation. You are not chosen by my father. So this is the reason why you don't understand my words. This is the reason why you are grumbling amongst yourselves. And this is the reason why in that final verb that we use, this is the reason why y'all about to start fighting about what I've just said. Why? Because the father has not called you. So <laughs> join me next time as we finally wrap up, and I think it's gonna be a much shorter uh, 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 lesson, I think so, you know how it is once we get there. But as we finally finish off Jesus' dramatic teaching concerning himself as the bread of life, those statements about eating the flesh of him and drinking the blood, where we will see that Jesus will give more enlightenment and we'll also see that even his own disciples, now listen to what I'm saying, even his own disciples did not understand what Jesus meant by these words, but still, even though they did not understand it, they refused to leave him. Why are they refusing to leave him? They have been called by the Father. And okay, enough. We're not gonna get into next week's lesson. Oh, next, whenever I talk about it, lesson, but we'll wait till we get there. But before we go, once again, if the Lord has blessed your heart, can you say, Lord, I thank you for the teachings that I received through Pastor Lee. I'm saying to you guys, will you come alongside of me and support me in the ministry? There is always a link in the description. And let me clarify that. Don't just use YouTube's, what is it? Some donate button that they have or whatever it is. But there's a link in the description that you can give direct support for this ministry. So come alongside of me. Help me and support me in this ministry so that we can continue to bring the word of God to you. But anyway, thanks for joining me. See you next time, guys. <laughs>